CLS is the weighing machine was created to help you, the financial advisor or investor, reach your long-term financial goals. Each episode, your hosts, Rusty Vanneman and I, Robin Murray, cut through the market clamor to find the time-tested principles that help investors succeed. CLS is the weighing machine is inspired by two ideas. The first is the classic investing truism attributed to Benjamin Graham, that the stock market is a voting machine in the short run and a weighing machine in the long run. In other words, emotion drives short-term market movement, but fundamentals and valuations drive returns over time. The second idea is CLS's investment methodology of risk budgeting. Represented by the scales, risk budgeting measures and manages risk to suit the needs of each investor. Welcome to CLS's The Weighing Machine. We hope you enjoy it. And as always, please let us know what you think. On the podcast today, we look everywhere for investing lessons, March Madness, a freeway collapse from 1994, and a time-tested record of mathematical-ish investing principles. We'll also talk about Boeing and diversification, the attractive qualities of quality, and takeaways from the Research Affiliates Advisor Symposium. Our guest today is CLS Senior Portfolio Manager and Director of Research, Grant Engelbart, and my interview is with Craig Zeller, Technology Specialist at Orion. Welcome to CLS's The Wang Machine. I'm Rusty Vanneman. And I'm Robin Murray. Okay, let's start out with a look back at the markets, as we always do. How is the quarter shaping up? Well, you do say quarter here. It's also, you know, it's month end, all these, but we're doing it two days before quarter ends, well, so sure. things could happen. Mm-hmm. Well, for the month, We've got positive numbers right now. There are some interesting things going on there. And for the quarter, a fantastic quarter. So, I mean, it's going to be a great quarter for globally diversified portfolios. Everything is, is doing pretty well. But looking at this month, I think the couple of things that stand out is something that's really been happening since September. And of course, I'm saying this two days before month end and quarter end, so we could still have something that happens. But diversified portfolios are working uh, since the September and also just looking at this month. Bonds are performing well. Bonds are outperforming the stock market. Again, I don't know how stocks are going to finish the next couple of days. Emerging markets are doing well. Real estate is doing well. So it's been really important to be diversified. Okay. Well, let's check in on sentiment since we do have Grant Engelbart here with us. He how is a sentiment guy. He is. <clears throat> thanks, thanks for having me. And, yeah, we, we look at sentiment. He's like a, a mood ring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not quite like that. <laughs> sentiment is, uh, is an important kind of aspect of short-term Shorter-term market movements, um, kind of the positioning people take in the markets helps determine, you know, their thoughts and feelings as well as the kind of surveys out there on the market. And it can determine, um, again, you know, short to intermediate-term movement of the market. And as, you know, as, as we talk about the weighing machine podcast, uh, in the short term, you know, the market is a voting machine. Um, and that's essentially what sentiment is. Uh, looking at kind of various asset classes on the, on the equity markets, you know, obviously we saw sentiment be pretty depressed in the last quarter um, fourth quarter of last year, we've seen that rebound some. So looking out kind of over the intermediate term, um, sentiment's a little bit optimistic, which elevated, which generally means a little bit slower returns um, or, or lower returns going forward. If you've listened to any kind of Rusty's recent media um, interviews uh, out there, he's, he's kind of mentioned the same thing. Um, just kind of ex- maybe expect a little bit of a, a slowdown in, in the upward movement we've seen this year. Um, fixed income has also started to creep up. You know, we, we saw... Is term in terms of sentiment, we saw bonds um, 
you know, with yields cratering over the last couple of weeks or so, um, bonds themselves positioning has gotten a little extended, so you could see a pullback there. Um, the dollar has, is firmly in neutral, really directionless um, going forward. And then commodities are very diverse, so you have a lot of different readings. Oil, um, from a major commodity standpoint, also a neutral reading, not a lot of directionality there. Gold, a little bit optimistic, so we would see lower returns going forward. And then agricultural commodities, very depressed, so we see higher returns going forward there. Okay. I want to just let everyone know that he had no notes for that. And just <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it's a big month in the sports world, as March as always is. Yeah. So in the weekly three that comes out this week, uh, CLS analyst Dustin Dorhart wrote about March Madness. We always kind of write about March Madness. But we do. So there's always some really good lessons that we can draw from it as investors. Uh, Rusty, what were his main takeaways? Well, of course, March Madness is the NCAA um, men's basketball tournament, and everybody's always really interested in it. Uh, basically, Dustin wrote that large events like this are really good opportunities to draw parallels to investing and just life lessons in general. Um, there are really seriously many parallels that exist between sporting events and the markets. There's things such as you know, media noise, uh, expert forecasters, poor predictions, there's behavioral biases. Uh, and Dustin really does focus on a couple of these behavioral biases, including, you know, investors really are, they like to kind of uh, bet with what they're familiar with or what they're comfortable with. Um, they're really averse to what's unfamiliar. Uh, they feel that increases risk. And anyway, it's, it's a, an important takeaway from what he wrote is that it's important for investors and people who may have an interest in March Madness is it's just important to branch out and find opportunities in unfamiliar places. Right. And Dustin said specifically um, that branching out and investing um, relates to seeking out opportunities overseas. Um, which a lot of people have that home country bias that he mentioned. Yeah. So, for example, in emerging markets, which we talk about a lot, but are often overlooked. Yeah, I, th it's, I think it goes back to just investors want to invest in things that they're comfortable with. And emerging markets can sound kind of scary. Um, he did, um, so he talked about the home bias quite a bit, but he also talked about sort of the parallels between emerging markets and and kind of what's going on in the sporting world and the idea that it's becoming more of a level playing field between emerging markets and developed economies that technology has, it's not only allowing uh, sporting teams to all access sort of top-notch training and better recruiting and uh, and drafting or whatever it may be, but technology is also helping emerging markets ha level out the playing field with more developed economies. Emerging markets have harnessed the benefits of globalization uh, to level out the playing field as well. Um, so they're not just energy industrial materials names. There's technology and healthcare in emerging markets. Uh, there's positive trends in emerging markets, such as a significant increase in wealth, rapidly evolving technology, and, and just a lot of things that, again, are putting emerging markets on playing fields. So as always, it's just sort of, uh, of trying to encourage investors to kind of branch out and find opportunities in these unfamiliar places. Right. So in that same week, uh, weekly three, which Dustin wrote with Costa Edis, Costa wrote about another significant event that produced some really applicable lessons, and that was the 1994 California earthquake. <clears throat> so this was a magnitude 6.7 quake, was felt as far away as Las Vegas. 57 people were killed, several thousand were injured, and it caused a lot of physical damage, most notably the Santa Monica Freeway, which collapsed. So it was one of the busiest freeways in the country, and it was going to cost the state a million dollars a day to keep it closed. And the initial estimate to repair 
here it was six years, but this ambitious contractor came in and said he could do it in six months, and he did. So how did he do it? Okay, so a couple things about this, just setting the stage for this, is that uh, Kosha did write this in the Weekly Three. It's a, it's a great little article. He did sort of send out to an internal audience beforehand, and it got a lot of positive reactions from it, so it is a pretty good read. He did get this story from, I do have to give a shout-out to one of the ETF providers who provided a uh, seminar on behavioral finance at UCLA. It was Wisdom Tree. It's a really great event, and we did send out a couple portfolio managers to it. So anyway, as for the points of the story, uh, what he was talking about is that that really, how did the ambitious uh, contractor get it all done? Well, he, first of all, he got engineers, workers, and inspectors to work together on the site from day one. He was able to sort of rethink the process to eliminate redundancies, reduce cost and time. He also engaged his employees, and he had several incentives that he did that were pretty cool. Um, including uh, music and pizza on Fridays, which I don't know why we don't do them more often of that here <laughs> ourselves. But um, we still make Fridays fun around here in, in multiple ways. But I guess that we can just add to it with music and pizza. But anyway, he just uh, employee appreciation needs to be personalized and spontaneous. Uh, the positive employees make better decisions. He also talked about, in this particular case, there was distributed leadership, which is a fancier way of saying that uh, uh, this contractor empowered managers to make decisions on his behalf, just go for it, that they were trusted. Also, stakeholder inclusion, another fancy way to say that they brought in the neighbors to discuss what needed to be done to deal with uh, around-the-clock construction. And so really the takeaways, and there were many, but always question every process, create a vision to get people to buy in and take action. All right. Well, let's turn back to you, Grant, um, bringing you back into the show. In your weekly three from a couple of weeks back, you wrote about Boeing, which had a tough week after two of its 737 MAX planes crashed within a few months of each other, and the planes are grounded. <clears throat> we received a few calls after that about how much we were invested in Boeing, and that prompted you to write about diversification. But before we get into that, you were on one of those planes before the FAA made the call to ground them in the U.S. Yeah, that's so, right. And that I, guess, I guess, first of all, I, I don't want to I downplay the tragedy of the two crashes and right. our condolences obviously go out to those families. I think that gets a little bit lost in the financial media sometimes. But I think the, the Ethiopian flight, it was overnight Sunday, uh, had crashed. And as, of course, uh, Monday I had a flight um, out, of, out of Omaha and there waiting for me was a 737 MAX, yeah, uh, which, which still, they're actually really nice planes, but obviously... Uh, you know, I, flying is okay. I'm gotten better, but I'm not the I'm not the best flyer. So it was it was a fun, luckily short flight. Yeah. Okay. So of course, CLS portfolios weren't impacted much by Boeing's stock slide because we diversify, right? Yeah, that's right. And I, that that's what I really wanted to highlight here. You know, Boeing's off maybe almost 20% from its highs, kind of following that news. Um, but you know, across our portfolios, we diversify. You know, f heavily uh, across the world and across asset classes. Um, I wanted to kind of show an example. I took a, a 70 risk budget core ETF client or um, portfolio and looked at the kind of the underlying holdings there. Something like 6,000 unique stocks from around the world, 18,000 unique in individual bonds. Um, you know, the largest single position is less than 60 basis points. So a, a ton of diversification. And, and the point here is, you know, Boeing is just one example of single stock risk, right? We hear it all the time every day. And I've written about it a lot is, is picking picking single stock winners is difficult. Um, and, and owning individual stocks in a very concentrated way can can potentially be really you know, helpful to to clients. Um, you know, concentration can lead to to a lot of wealth, but it can also 
uh, go the other way, and we, we see that happen quite a bit. So we want to diversify as much as we can right. uh, to control risk. Um, you also wrote about some time-tested principles of investing, a few mathematical-ish certainties that we can count on. Uh, walk us through your main points. Sure, yeah. I was inspired by, by Pi Day, which I'm sure everyone celebrates 314, uh, March 14th. Uh, there, there's a few things in math and investing that I, I see missed occasionally um, by a lot, a lot of different parties from individuals to institutions. Um, so I'll just mention a few, and there's more that you can kind of read in there. One thing is, is the effect of, of basing. So it's kind of a weird concept, I guess, to, to some people. But if you think about it, growth is always expected, right? Wall Street always wants something to grow more and more each, each period. But as you grow more and more each period, you know, it's intuitive sense, uh, your, your level is higher, right? So GDP, we want it to grow faster and faster and faster, right? But GDP is getting larger and things are getting larger and companies are getting larger and it's harder to continue that same growth going forward. And it's just something that gets forgotten, um, and, you know, and, and people need to kind of step back and look and just realize things have to, to pause a little bit to grow healthier longer term. Um, I looked at another thing that was really interesting was actually part of the, the the conference I went to. There's a Harvard professor that spoke about the amount of people that don't contribute to the 401ks despite basically getting free money, and it's really high. And, uh, and and there's there's this particular crowd of people that are over 59 and a half that can contribute, get free money, and, and can actually take that money out without any penalty whatsoever because they're over 59 and a half, and they still, even when, when told about it, don't do it. So um, not a lot of math there, but free money is, is good math in, in my book. Um, and then I talked a little bit about compounding. It's, you know, Incredibly powerful. Warren Buffett talks about it a lot. You know, just the the time that he has has contributed to compounding and just looking at a the difference between a three percent return and a six percent return um, over forty years. You ended up in, not with twice as much money, but with three times as much money. Um, and you know, maybe a little less realistic, but the difference between a five percent return and ten percent return over that forty year period. And you don't end up with twice as much money. You end up with six times as much money. So um, compounding is, is incredibly powerful, and investors need to understand that that investing takes time, and they need to start early and, and continue to do that. Uh, you know, I actually do think on compounding is like I have written and, and spoken so much on investing over the decades, and I don't think I give it still enough oomph talking about compounding. And Grant's examples are huge, you know, 10 versus 5 and 6 versus 3. But quite frankly, even 5 versus 4, absolutely. you know, you should illustrate something like that. I mean, 4.5 versus 4, it all matters. And um, anyway, it's, it's a, you know, compounding is ridiculous. Yeah, and there's, <laughs> yeah. A, there's a nifty chart in there that you can kind of see those differences uh, Rusty's talking about in the piece. Yeah. Um, well, I'll turn back to you, Rusty, um, talking about time-tested principles. Another one that we believe in here is quality, um, while acknowledging, of course, that quality is performance is cyclical, um, like everything else in the markets. But we do believe in quality. And in his, his latest weekly, Three Coaster also wrote about the attractive qualities of quality. Yep. So at CLS, we do emphasize quality. Again, that's defined uh, by companies with stronger balance sheets, uh, higher profitability, consistent earnings growth. Um, all else can be equal. We will prefer companies uh, with that are higher quality than lower quality. It's probably just sort of our uh, training here in Omaha, Nebraska, and the land of Warren Buffett. But it should also be noted that Kosha is a big uh, believer in quality, and I, he does have that tie that has a picture of a koala and the letter <laughs> T. So he often wears that, the koala T tie. But anyway, so quality investments are really important during 
uh, volatile and unpredictable markets. They also theoretically should do well when uh, the economic expansion is mature and kind of in late cycle. They should do better, all is equal. Um, so again, strategically, we, we do like higher quality companies. So um, quality sounds great, but as Kostja asked, isn't it expensive right now? So that is a little bit of the problem with qualities because uh, we love quality, uh, high quality companies. And again, you know, the economic expansion is mature, but uh, I think a lot of people realize that. And uh, quality stocks are now trading at a premium and you get what you pay for. And valuations are just a little bit excessive right now. There are ways to sort of kind of play that. And so for instance, a holding in many CLS portfolios is uh, a, uh, an ETF called CARP, Q-A-R-P. Uh, it's X-Trackers, Russell 1000. Uh, it's U.S. companies. It invests in quality companies that trade at reasonable discounts. And it's a total plan Warren Buffett. Uh, it's a, when he says it's far better to buy a wonderful company at a fair price than a fair company at a wonderful price. And so, again, quality investments behave like any high-quality product. They tend to provide consistent results in the long term and a good addition to diversified portfolio in today's volatile market. But just note, don't load up the boat on them because they are a little expensive right now. Mm. Okay, finally, Grant, you wrote about the Research Affiliates Advisor Symposium that you attended earlier this month. It was a great conference, and you had some really helpful takeaways. What were the best things you got from the event? Yeah, th there was a lot I got from, from this conference, I think a little bit for everyone. So Research Affiliates is a kind of pioneer in the smart beta space, um, factor investing, but really just thought leadership on investing in general, and they're expanding that quite a bit. So it's kind of a little bit of everything. I, I put a lot of links in there, too, if people wanted to dive deeper. Um, they talk a lot about culture, which I think is really important and something that CLS, you know, Rusty mentioned some of the things we do on Fridays and um, just, just bringing people together, but also encouraging coll collaboration and, and, and smart and intelligent uh, kind of debating and, and things like that that we do here. So I think that was huge, and there's a lot of things we can learn from that, but also kind of want to emphasize that we are very committed to culture um, at, at the North Shore organization level. Um, they they study factors a lot, and, and I don't want to go into that too much because they have some really in-depth factor analysis, but they have some simplistic ones as well. One thing they did is through a series of, of testing um, based on historical returns and, and expectations, they, they determined that the current underperformance we've seen in the value factor, which obviously is, is an area that we invest in quite a bit and, and are leaning towards and see the most opportunity going forward in, in value stocks, um, the current underperformance realistically had about a 2% chance um, given given the historical kind of distribution of returns. So what we've seen is really unprecedented in that the underperformance in value, which I thought was really interesting. Um, one particular professor that is an advisor to their firm out of Duke University um, spoke about a lot of different things. He's done a number of papers. His name is Cam Harvey. Um, and he talked mostly about rapid changes in technology and how advisors can be on the forefront of that by kind of adopting those new changes. Um, we, we talk about that a lot at CLS, but, you know, f finding your niche as an advisor in, in a new area of investments. I mean, there are things that we can't even fathom that you're going to be able to invest in. Think about, you know, litigation finances become really big um, or, or is com becoming large where you actually can invest in a court case and get a, a return based on the outcome. It's, it's wild what you can invest in nowadays. You can buy tokens of cars, for, for instance. It's like a portion of a, a fancy car. Um, so advisors, you know, his point is if you get on the forefront of that as an advisor, you really can stand out. Um, the future of ETFs, Dave Nodig from ETF.com spoke about this. Great unbundling is what he's calling it. Basically, it's a focus on instead of just owning ETFs, it's owning the underlying securities um, associated with maybe an index. 
um, kind of unbundling that and it allows for a lot more customization for individual clients. And this is something we're also on the forefront of here. Uh, our sister company, Orion uh, Advisor Services, has a, you know, a technology called Astro, A-S-T-R-O, um, focused on this, you know, and we can go in depth on this for forever, but I encourage you to kind of click on some of the links and check that out further. Um, and then finally, their founder, Rob Arnott, talked about, asked the question, are valuations irrelevant, which is, you know, just to be provocative and bold. And the answer, of course, is no, valuations are still very important and talked about where the U.S. market is valued um, versus the rest of the world and, and you know, kind of uh, complimentary to, to what some of the things we've been saying on this podcast and at CLS for a long time, which is is, is good to see um, as well. But, uh, you know, we're, we're expecting as research affiliates is, you know, higher returns out of some of these emerging economies going forward. Cool. All right. Great stuff. Well, that's going to do it for this part of the podcast. Grant, thanks for coming in. Good hey, to have you on the always show. always great to be here. Uh, next up is Rusty's Q&A. Today he talks to Cray Zeller, who's the technology specialist at Orion, our sister company, as Grant mentioned. Uh, set it up for us. Great. So Cray is somebody that multiple people have come to me and said I should have on the podcast. And it, it does say technology specialist. Actually, it's pretty interesting that Grant just talked about culture uh, from the Research Affiliates Symposium. And you know, Cray is actually a good example, I guess, of talking about culture. And he goes into a lot of these topics on here, including being authentic and collaborative collaboration. But when it comes to the culture at CLS Investments or North Star, sister companies such as Orion, uh, Craig does a, a wonderful job talking about it. He's His title is this technology specialist, but he's sort of like the wise man on the mountain here at North Star where uh, people come to him not only obviously regarding advice on technology, but also almost anything athletic and almost just about living sometimes too. So anyway, there's a lot of great tidbits in here. Cool. Let's take a listen. Well, today's guest on the CLS Weighing Machine is Cray Zeller, technology specialist at Orion, sister company of CLS Investments. Welcome, Cray. Thank you very much, Rusty. I'm excited to be here. You know, actually, your name has come up multiple times as somebody that we should interview on the weighing machine because you, in so many ways, sort of epitomize sort of um, some of the, the culture stuff that goes on here at North Star. And so I think it's real. I'm really excited to have you here. Yeah, I, I appreciate that very much. I, I actually work pretty hard to camouflage myself <laughs> or to blend in so I don't stand out as much. But uh, yeah. I do appreciate that, that people are thinking about me. Awesome. Well, first of all, just so the audience knows, tell us a little bit about you. Who are you and what do you do here? Yep. Uh, of course, my name is Craig Zeller. I'm a technology, uh, technology specialist. I've worked for North Star and Orion for over eight years. Yeah. Um, I do a, a range of different things in terms of technology and help uh, build our company uh, with the use of uh, technology and innovation. Um, most currently, I'm working on video conferencing solutions and how to speed up that engagement with our clients and yeah. uh, how to better communicate uh, internally and externally as well. Yeah. Cool. But, and I, I do appreciate that I, I do have a lot of flexibility here. So. Um, in terms of engaging employees and getting involved with things uh, with the company, um, I get to do that a, a great deal. Yeah. And you do podcasts too. Yes, That's definitely. Awesome. So you are a South Dakota native. Yes, I am. Yep. So actually, the only reason I bring that up is because my father's side of the family are from South Dakota as well, uh, the Gregory Winter area. My parents now live in Rapid City, so the South Dakota connection. Cool. Definitely, yes. And uh, usually uh, from South Dakota people, we, we wave with a full hand. Yep. <laughs> uh, we hold doors and uh, we, w by nature, we're pretty, uh, 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 I guess, patient. Yeah, so. cool. All right. So what did you do before you came to North Star? 
Um, I worked at uh, bigger companies. Uh, yep. Companies that actually had their own zip code, like Mutual of Omaha. I've always, I did not know that. Yes, yes. Wow. <laughs> I've always worked in the technology field, and that really started when I joined the military. And yeah. uh, obviously, in the military, you take a ASVAB or a, a test. And based upon my scores, uh, what was available was telecommunications or computer work. Um, I didn't initially had, have an interest in it uh, because it was quite a long time ago before technology really kicked off. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, uh, through the military, I, I've always kind of had this drive to learn more about technology. Um, and then when my wife and I got out in 2000, um, I I picked up at Mutual of Omaha and, and uh, yeah. moved up through there. So Yep, cool. Well, you know, we have a couple of different topics we're going to talk about today, including creativity and collaboration. But, but kind of before I touch upon that, since you've been here eight years, and we've been an organization that's had incredible growth. So I kind of want to get your take on how we've changed and, and how would you describe, I guess, the culture at Orion and, and North Star? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the great thing is uh, in most companies or organizations, you always you always want to think, does the, the label match the contents? Yeah. And that's one thing um, about uh, North Star and Orion and the company's uh, CLS as well, is that um, when you're here and you, when you're inside, the, the common thing I get is, are people really this happy? Yeah. And the thing is, you know, I've worked in huge companies before and everything is, be- is so competitive and everything's in number. But one thing with uh, this culture is that we have the freedom to think and communicate. Uh, but also you don't have this intense um, environment where everybody's trying to uh, compete against each other. Yeah. And I think because of that, we're able to kind of collaborate, communicate and evolve and I think that's the great thing about uh, the company is we, we do a lot um, for employees, but also for the community. And I think that is something mm-hmm. organic that helps drive, I guess, the good in all of us. Yeah. You know, I think it, it comes really from, you know, the Clark family family, and, you know, the positivity and the positive energy that they've had. And it's just sort of like that's just been kind of who we are and how we're seen in the industry. And I guess uh, Todd Clark used to always talk about, you know, Nebraska nice. And yes. people would always note that about CLS and Orion. So absolutely, I like that. Well, so... Um, you can talk about so many cool things. So many people engaged with you on different topics. But one of the topics I wanted to talk to you about today was uh, creativity and sort of how of kind of stirring that creative spark. Because that's what we do here. We innovate. And that's one of the big themes, obviously, of Orion, innovate, disrupt, and win. And so obviously creativity is a, is a critical element. And quite frankly, it's a critical component of investment management as well. So what's your take on it, on creativity and the creative spark? Yeah, exactly. And that, that's the thing is um, people talk about innovation quite a bit. Uh, we innovate or we're an innovating company. Uh, you hear that a lot. But the thing is, uh, you have to have some type of successful um, collaboration that's part of that innovation process. And with that uh, successful collaboration, you've got to have an environment where you kind of share ideas. Uh, we all come, every employee comes with uh, knowledge, mm-hmm. experience, uh, intellect, education. We all have this, but the thing is that we have to be welcoming to share those ideas and information. Um, and that's the thing is, um, you know, it's not just focusing on one idea guy or idea person. It's focusing on what uh, the employees have to offer. And that's what I think in terms of uh, innovation is 
And what's great about our companies is we, we our company is we actually cultivate things within and, and, and like you finding me and, yeah. uh, you know, what, what kind of energy or creativity you bring and, uh, to help this innovation piece. And that's one thing that people have to keep in mind is that um, between uh, innovation and reality exists creativity. In order to get there, you have to, it, it's not motivation that drives the creative spark. Um, it's actually action. So just having people in a room isn't going to do it. You've got to have people, uh, they have to be pushed into something and they have to be validated. So instead of, uh, in terms of really pushing that creative spark, uh, the key thing that really works is instead of trying to prove people wrong, like prove them right. Like if their idea, they have an idea, just try to find and push them to, to make it right yeah. instead of wrong. And that's a big key. Gosh, that's pretty cool. You know, actually, um, you just made me think, I, I'm reading a book right now. Um, I think it's like How to Make Music by David Byrne, the lead singer from The Talking Heads. And one of the things that's really cool about it is that he talks about when it comes to making music, it isn't so much about the creatives, the, the, you know, the, um, the, the as you said, the motivation, the creative spark. It really comes from the action. It actually yeah. comes from all these other things that yes. actually gets the music created. Yes. And so that's actually hitting upon what you're saying, too. Yeah, and that's the key too. Is uh, even in um, you know the company and the culture is uh, reciprocity. So, what are we doing this for? What what? Why are we exchanging ideas and everything? And yeah. the, the key is that um, you know you shouldn't do it just to benefit yourself. And that's the uh, that's kind of spinning off into the successful part of collaboration is doing it not only for the group uh, but the greater of the company and the culture. And that's. That in return, that drive, um, that desire to win um, actually makes our clients, our business, our advisors, everything better all around us. But yeah. you do it within, not without. Yeah. You know, another point you just hit on is, is so you talked about winning. And, of course, that's part of the Orion slogan is is win. But you know what? It's That can be a little bit misleading because it just sounds so ruthlessly competitive. It's really about win-wins. Yes, you know, and so both parties have to win for it to really be a winning situation. Yeah, and that's the thing to keep in mind is um, any any good company or great company or growing company, just like Orion a, a is growing, any great company has to have some elements of competition. Yeah. And the competition uh, can be amongst coworkers or um, departments, uh, but the, the competition is actually making us better. Yeah. And what I mean is not discounting, it's, it's, it's actually reinforcing, reaffirming that, hey, I appreciate that you're driving as hard as you are, and I, I, I appreciate that you're competitive, because this is going to lead us to all win. Yeah. Let's talk about competition a little bit, yeah. because you're pretty competitive in a lot of things. So um, how, how people define competition, I think, is really interesting. And I think we both share the same definition, that competition isn't about beating somebody else as much as it is as us always getting better. Now, you do a lot of road racing. So how, how do you define competition like when you're racing? Yes. Um, well, racing in terms of just saying the word racing invokes like kind of a, an emotional response. Yeah. You know, uh, but for me and how it's always been, and even in our company and uh, in investment overall, is that, you know, you don't want to be impulsive. Yeah. You kind of want to focus on fundamentals. And uh, when I think about com competing uh, in racing, I really kind of focus on my fundamentals and the things that I really 
am aware about and the things I have control over. But the thing is, you build that confidence along the way. So what makes me unique, I guess, in terms of being more competitive is I think about pushing on the gas pedal or running faster when I'm in the act of the race. Not I don't try to, you know, I know some people visualize themselves finishing the finish line or winning. Yeah. But I make that determination once I'm in the middle of it. Yeah. I mean, I do I do stuff too. I, I do like paddleboard races and things. And, and the way I see competition, it's always, it's not about actually the placing, though I got to admit, I do like medals and yes, trophies. Yeah. But it, it really is about was I satisfied with my performance and yeah. did I push myself to, to another level I hadn't reached before. I mean, I guess it's always like, hey, what does it matter if I came in first if the competition, if the field was weak, yeah. you know, as opposed to if the field was really strong and I came in middle of the pack sort of thing. Yeah. You know, it's really about competing against myself. Well, that's a great point. Uh, but I don't know if you know this about me, but I do not keep medals or trophies. Oh, you don't even keep that? Yeah, I don't keep those. <laughs> what if you do uh, if you get one? I'm sure I've, I've actually uh, <laughs> earned quite a bit of those. But, uh, you know, I've learned early on, uh, and I think this is what helps me help cultivate our environment and helps mm-hmm. me get involved a little bit more, uh, engage our employees a little bit more, and make our company great is that um, – I look for uh, improving others in terms of uh, I I don't get impressed with what I can accomplish. Yeah, uh, we both know that you cannot have first place unless there's somebody behind you. Yeah, uh, one thing I've always done early is I will if I win a race I always go back and cheer on those behind me, and later on I learn that and that's part of that reciprocity is that if I invest into something or I I promote within and I can help build these runners and make them faster, then I'm making myself faster. It's yeah. it's crazy how that works, but um, that's how I believe that our, our company overall works is that we all have evolved yeah. uh, from a... Um, uh, from many standpoints. so We have a very, when I'm talking about we, you're talking about Orion and North Star. We have a yes. very sort of athletic and outdoorsy sort <laughs> yes. of of um, attitude towards things. So we are. We're, we're probably one of the best uh, corporations in the state of Nebraska for running competitions. Absolutely. Can you just talk a little bit about our running culture and here at, at North Star and Orion? Yes. And I, I think running in uh, by basic design uh, has a start and a finish. But it requires you to do something. It requires your legs, your lungs. Um, you know, and people usually say is, I'm not a runner, I'm not athletic, or I don't enjoy those types of things. Um, at one point, we did kind of have a running culture. Yeah. Um, but as we start to look at things differently from a culture aspect and happiness overall, that vitality and wellness takes on a different meaning. Just because you can run fast doesn't mean you're actually uh, essentially healthy. Yeah. Uh, so that's one great thing about our company is that we invest the employees and actually look at their wellness overall and help them by giving them the tools to excel. So running just happens to be the catalyst, and it drives us. When I talk about internal competition is that we have employees that have evolved and gotten faster and uh, some have beaten me. Some I've trained. Yeah. Um, but That has to be satisfying, though, it of course. It is definitely satisfying, yep. and, th- and that competition that's the healthy competition yeah and that's where we as a company as as we're growing but in omaha or nebraska overall we're a company that uh we have the most teams 
represented in the market-to-market relay out of any company in the state of Nebraska. Which, again, that's the race between Omaha and Lincoln every year, every exactly. fall. It's yes. like 60-some miles or something uh, like that. 78 miles. 78 miles. Yes. Okay, yeah, I, sh- yes. I should know that. I've only done it a bunch of times. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and we have um, runners are mixed. So we have uh, males, females, young and old. But the thing is that it's hard to beat the participation. And what I mean is a company can say, we want a team and we want to um, organize this for you, but there has to be participation. There has to be willingness. Yeah. And for eight eight teams, I'm sorry, uh, for uh, five teams, I'm sorry, uh, five teams that have eight runners, and when you have employees that participate and step up, that's yep. uh, quite amazing. Yep. yep. It, is, uh, it is a really fun event. It's a really cool event. I haven't done the last couple of years. I've <laughs> had travel or something to, to, as my excuse, but cool. Hey, let's get back to creativity. So um, let's add uh, some practical elements of it. So what are some techniques to enhance creativity? Do you have recommendations there? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, uh, it, you know, in most cases, you know, people think, well, I want to try to initiate or drive creativity. Um, you know, let's create an environment or a room um, that is not going to do it alone. And I think one thing that really pushes creativity is not finding people that are just um, idea guys. You've got to bring in people that have different experiences. Um, and it, it doesn't always have to be technology. You can have a discussion, uh, you know, something that's very generalized, but that discuss- discussion can actually lead or open people's minds to something else and creative thinking. And, in general. Um, but the thing is, when somebody has an idea, um, it, it's important that people recognize what is uh, substantial, yeah. uh, what is most original. Um, and that's the thing to keep pushing. So if somebody comes up with something, um, the idea is to just build around it and wrap around it and then promote it. What I mean is promote it in a positive way and instead of trying to discount it or prove it wrong, prove it everything right. I like where you're going. I like the way you're thinking. Let's see where this goes. But with creativity, there has to be some type of action that's associated with it. Meaning, you know, just having ideas isn't good enough. And and I had communicated this early, Rusty, but <clears throat> I keep a lot of notes. I keep a lot of ideas that I jot down. And this is really important. I, w- I would like the listeners to really think about is that um, this is a real thing. It's called offline thinking yep. and then online thinking. So offline thinking is writing yourself notes, working on a whiteboard, working on staging or developing your way of thinking. And when you're uh, with this collection, you're more bound to organize something that's presentable or would make sense to other people. And sometimes when I write my notes, some of them can be very um, eccentric, very uh, may not make sense to most folks, but the point is I'm in the action of doing this offline thinking. Yeah. Um, but when you're online, you're more bound to be more efficient. And they call this, uh, well, you have some more of a functional purpose. Whatever you're providing for information or your thought, actually has function. It's something that we can build on or do something with. So Yeah. Oh my gosh, you've already said like eight things I have <laughs> comments on here. So let me think. So well first of all, 
again, just the, the importance of creativity, obviously, in today's economy, the, uh, the attribute of creativity, I think, is even more valuable than ever, particularly as a lot of things, a lot of the get automated. So I think just you know, that human experience, it's about being creative. But also, I mean, you talked about the need for sort of cognitive diversity, and which is something we kind of talk about all the time, because on investment management, one of the keys to making good investment decisions is actually all that what I like to call creative tension, which is a nice way for saying debate and discussion behind yes. the scenes. I think it's really important. Another thing that I was thinking about when I was talking about you know ideas, one thing that my entire career I've been very hip on is is a you know there is genuine value to hiring people who are like really into the markets again this investment management thing, yep. but are really sort of new to the industry. So when they come in, they are ambitious, they're bright, they ask a lot of questions, and I say like ninety percent of those questions probably are pretty basic, maybe kind of silly to some, still useful because more experienced people still get the practice of teaching and articulating that back. But 10% of those questions, because they're kind of coming out of left field, they're like, ah, they're like a fresh set of eyes looking at something. Exactly. And so I always say that people who just are coming into the industry like year one can add value in terms of thoughts they can bring to portfolios and sort of the whole process. So. The other thing that you said, which I think is such a key point to all this, is is that the element of action. And it reminds me of another book, and I can't remember the title of it, but uh, I went to Babson College, and there was a professor a couple years ago who wrote a book about the entrepreneurial experience. And again, that's essentially what we are here. It's a very entrepreneurial organization. And his whole book was about, dang it, quit talking and writing just do it yes and in basic yes. it was really just do it and you know and then and as for an entrepreneurial company you just have to get it there and take action and then obviously pivot where you need to pivot yes exactly so um i teach running uh, i coach running i do have uh, uh two ladies now that i'm coaching in a marathon uh training for a marathon and one of the thing is we do track workouts and 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 I mentioned this before, Rusty, and I, I talk about uh, being complacent. Yeah. People kind of get set in their, their patterns, the way things have always worked. But it's not until you get out of that cycle do you actually open your mind to something different. Um, so I just did a track workout recently where I brought them to the track, and I said, well, your, your task is to run around the track, but I don't want you to use your arms. And they said, well, nobody's – I've never tried this before. <laughs> it's like, well – the problem is that we've been taught to run with our arms our whole life yeah. when we're young and get older. But um, it's not until you learn to drive off your feet, drive off your legs, and then your your arms soon become an advantage, not a kind of just there. So uh, it's not until you do something a little bit different, it opens your mind. And that's what I mean is even in the investment world, we may uh, look at periodicals, information, uh, resources to where we, we gather information. But point of that information is try to make it uh, reasonable, um, but also apply it to something functional. Yeah. And that's the important thing. When you mentioned uh, new people coming in and they have questions or maybe they even have solutions, but the thing is just try to make that information functional. Yeah. Right on. All right. Speaking of functional, so uh, back to creativity. So when it comes to this offline thinking, I mean, how do you actually do it? Is it legal pads? Is it apps on your telephone? I mean, what are the tools you actually use? Yes. And it, it's any means necessary. So if I have my phone near me, I'll actually make notes on my phone. Yeah. Or I, I've actually have um, 
you know, drawers full of notebooks. And as you can see here, Rusty, as we're having this interview and discussion, I have notes in front of me. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, you 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 do a notebook, you do uh, sticky notes, you use a marker board. Um, I use any means necessary. When that idea comes, the point is that you you take that idea, you just write it down, and you see where it may apply. And that's the thing is in terms of... Um, um, you know, this idea is just not for yourself. It's how do, how can I take this and build upon it or share it with somebody so that they may be able to build something that I cannot. Yeah. You know, and sometimes uh, people have that information already. They, they're waiting for that one thing, that one note, that one word uh, that's going to drive them. So, yeah. What about what about tools regarding collaboration? I mean, is it are they what different tools would you recommend in that? Yeah, you know, you know, uh, collaboration should always be related to action. Yeah, and that's the thing is that just having a meeting um, without any type of uh, action items or some outcome is kind of kind of counterproductive in a sense. But the key is in collaboration. Um, there's a few things that actually can uh, make collaboration uh, go wrong. And what I mean are, how do I say, slow it down. Yeah. And what I mean is hierarchy. So let's just say that we, we have a collaborative team. We're here to solve a problem or talk about an idea or have a discussion. So we're here to collaborate to do something. But if the hierarchy is, you know, we have the president of the company, the CEO, we're always going to look to them for validation on our ideas. Mm-hmm. But to help that collaborate, I'm not saying exclude them. The point is, have a challenge, have an idea, have a mission, but go after it, but do it free thinking. Share the ideas, uh, but also in that collaborative environment, you've got to have somebody that's responsible to organize these ideas. Um, sometimes people put notes on a marker board or they use a marker board. Um, But also we're doing more of uh, internally with video conferencing, we're doing recording as well. So if we have a meeting and we want others to kind of tap into that energy and those ideas and do something with them, we'll record it and then we'll share those uh, internally. Cool. All right, I'm going to take a quick tangent here because I know some of the people who know you're on this podcast will want to hear some of your stories, particularly your running stories. (laughs) Yes. So I know you have a lot, but do you want to talk about the big endurance race you did last year and you're going to do again? Absolutely. Uh, I had... uh, Because this is a great story. Yeah, so uh, I I don't really have this... I've never had this fascination with running. Yeah. Uh, When I was younger, I was uh, uh, in... I joined track. My, My parents didn't do athletics, so I signed up for pole vaulting. And by some fluke, I ended up winning a track meet. And, <laughs> and so I became a pole vaulter. And a lot of people don't know that is uh, pole vaulting takes many steps in order to, uh, you know, you're using kinetic energy and gravity to try to keep you within a certain yep. limitation. But uh, one day when I was uh, at practice and um, I was a junior in high school, well, the distance team ran by and somebody said, typical lazy pole vaulter. Uh-huh. Uh, so I'd asked my coach... <laughs> hey, can I try long distance running? I, I don't even know idea that, you know, what it is. Or, And uh, he tried to talk me out of it so many times, but he said, you know what? If you want to do it, you're going to have to train on your own after you do pole vaulting practice. So, um, so this kind of evolved into uh, me learning more about running. But what I found is that running further, f- further or more running is 
really less about running and more about um, thinking. So I'm, I've, I've always been more of a mentalist when it comes to athletics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's where the pole vaulting piece comes in. Um, as I mentioned to you, I I took a break. Well, I didn't pole vault for, you know, like 20 years, and I pick up a pole, and I'm still able to clear a height. And people nice. think, well, are you just athletic? And it's like, no, if you if you – if you take something that has so many steps and so many movements, but you master and focus on the key elements or the fundamentals, you're always going to deliver. Ah, they say um, that about pole vaulting. It's just like riding a bicycle. <laughs> no, no. no. But, but my point is <laughs> distance running has some of those similar movements. And yeah. and for me, it's running's always been uh, being less busy and more effective. Don't focus on other people, but focus on yourself. Um, but then I had this drive to you know what, I need to show people that I'm not, uh, I'm human. I need, I, you know, and that's the point of this endurance run, the 240-mile trail run in Moab. 240 miles. Yes. In the desert. Yeah, well, you know, pretty much the desert and the mountains and all that fun <laughs> stuff. But, you know, I, I think, uh, and hopefully the listeners are listening to this, is that, you know, running that far, you, you can't be impulsive. You've got to change. You have to uh, transform your thinking. Uh, it's not marathon running. Um, you know, it's more of just attrition. Yeah. It's endurance. And uh, the toughest part is I really had to teach myself how to eat more. Um, but when I did the Moab 240, I made it approximately 73 miles before I <laughs> um, got pulled off the course for, you know, um, my uh, kidney shutting down. So, yeah. Uh. Well, that is that's a story in its own. Yes. So, yeah. hey, one one question I I didn't prep you on this, but I bet you have an answer and I bet people have asked you this question before, but again, we're in a very performance-oriented culture and company and um and also our audience is, you know, advisors and, and investors are also very performance oriented, but not necessarily performance in terms of numbers, but just how we perform on a daily basis. Yes. And so the question really is in terms of resources or books, do you have any recommendations like on a on a book about just general performance or just how to live? Yeah, I think um, in terms of like a, a book itself, um, yeah, I wouldn't say there's a specific book. Um, everybody goes through transitions or periods in their life that may associate with it. Um, I know there's uh, books about business, but uh, essentially right now, I, I I would say that there's probably not a book that stands out. Okay. Yeah. That's completely fair. Yeah. <laughs> completely fair. So, um, well, Craig, we really appreciate you have being on the podcast. You have, you have so many other things to talk about. We may just have you back, but do you have any closing comments or? No, uh, I think... Uh, Again, I think uh, one of the big thing is just I just our company is really based upon uh, innovation, uh, disrupt, and winning. Yeah, and that's the thing too. Is I I challenge people uh, that are listening is to start making notes, um, start really thinking at, about innovation a little bit different. Um, think about how they can di- disrupt the things they're doing. Don't be complacent. Yeah. Find creative ways to do something different, like running without your arms. Um, <laughs> But I'm finally, try that. but finally, competition is great. Don't you know? I, I've been in so many races where I did not win, but I've also been in so many races where I did win. But the thing is, it's the act of doing competition that makes you greater, and that's yeah. really all I have. It's take action. Do it now. Well, yes. thanks, Cray. Yeah, you're welcome. Yep. Yeah.
All right, good stuff. Well, that is going to do it for this week. Rusty, take us out with your final thoughts. Well, two things. First of all, as always, stay balanced. And as Cray would suggest, do it now. <laughs> right. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening to CLS is the Weighing Machine. And thank you for your time and trust in CLS Investments. CLS is the Weighing Machine is hosted by Rusty Vanneman, Chief Investment Officer at CLS Investments, and me, Robin Murray, freelance writer and editor. If you have questions or feedback about our podcast today, please send us a note at rusty.vanneman at clsinvest.com.